previously on Who Killed Amy Mahalovic. She was magnetic. I would say a lot of people, you know, uh, were drawn to her. Well, back to Amy. So Amy was a can-do person, uh, very smart. Uh, she was book, very book smart. Bay Village police and the FBI aren't thumbing their nose at any clues, including the remotest of possible leads. Right now, time is the enemy, as the abductor's trail grows colder by the day. 35 FBI agents were assigned to the Mahalovic case. 100,000 man hours had been logged. Practically everyone involved in the investigation were clinging to hope that Amy would be found alive. The body of a young female uh, found in Ashton County early Thursday uh, morning has been identified as uh, that of Amy Mahalovic, age 12, of Bay Village of Ohio. Bay Village school officials had made some preparations for this day everyone wished would never come. Teachers tenderly answered any questions the children had, and the middle school added four counselors to its usual two. Well, whoever whoever took Amy, we know, is good with kids. Okay. This is somebody that can talk a kid into anything, you know, getting into a car with a stranger. The only thing I want to say to them is that there were rainbows above their house, and that kind of signified to me that maybe she had gone to heaven and she was safe now. We feel that eventually somebody will give us the tip that will uh, maybe tie it all together and uh, we'll be able uh, to resolve this. Well, it, uh, it certainly isn't what we were all and every one of you two were hoping for. Amy was, she is gone. But I would ask of everyone here and those who can't be here, Let's stop living in the shadow of Amy's tragedy. We must look forward. We must put a smile on our face, learn from this tragic event, but not wallow in the sadness. I am Bill Huffman, and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Mahalovic. On this week's episode, I have a great conversation with Nick from one of True Crime's top podcasts, True Crime Garage, who grew up in the Columbus area, but has always had a special interest in Amy's case. We will discuss how Amy's story affected him as a child and how he perceives it being an adult and having done one of his first episodes on the Mahalovic case. We'll also discuss his theories as well as where he sees the investigation going at this point. This case has so many different rabbit holes that it is important to remember the facts. Theories are just theories, and as much as we can speculate on who this killer is, it is important to remember that only one person called Amy, and in all likelihood, only one person is responsible for this crime. Too many theories and too many suspects is the best way I can put it. If this case were built on theories, we would be near skyscraper territory at this point. As James Renner has said before on this podcast, this case is so frustrating because there were so many people with a means, motive, and opportunity. And to think that so many people fancied this young girl is disturbing on a whole new level. So why in a city with a population under 16,000 haven't they been able to find the killer or justice for the Mahalovic family? There is a connection between Bay Village and Ashland County. And someone in this area, or the Ashland area, knows the answer. It was in 2016 that Special Agent Phil Torsney and the Chief of Bay Village Police, Mark Spetzel, held a press conference where they released new evidence. New in the sense that it had recently been tested, but had actually been in the possession of the police for over 25 years. It was when they tested the curtain and blanket that were found some 300 feet from Amy, they discovered similar with the keyword being similar, dog hairs that had been found on Amy's body and were similar to that of the Mahalovic's family dog, Jakey. The curtain was shown to the public for the first time in 2016 and was definitely made by someone. It had been repurposed from a quilt or duvet type of cover and was definitely cut to specific dimensions as to cover a door or a closet. So the big question that remains from that press conference assuming that the person who made that is still alive, is why haven't you come forward with the information that puts this guy away? Are you complicit with this unknown male? If so, you will also be looking at the death penalty here in Ohio. So if that burden has become too much to bear, maybe it's time to let yourself be free of the pain. 
Before we get to my conversation with Nick, I think it is important to refresh some of the basic facts of the case. So let's start with the five W's of journalism. Who, what, where, when, and why. In a case that is as complex as this one, I will try to keep this as simple as I possibly can. In this case, the who is 10-year-old Amy Renee Maholovic. The what, Amy receives a phone call from a man who claims to work with her mother, and he asks if she'd be willing to help him pick out a gift for the recent promotion she had received at work. The where is Bay Square Plaza in Bay Village, Ohio. The when is October 27, 1989, when Amy was last seen talking with a man outside that Baskin-Robbins around 3 p.m. Amy was missing for about 105 days when around 4 p.m. on February 8, 1990, the Bay Village police pulled into a driveway at the end of the cul-de-sac. It was 628 Linford Drive, and Police Chief William Garou and three FBI agents hurried into the home and broke the tragic news to the Mahalovic family. They would be told that Amy's body was found about 200 yards north of a farmhouse, near a ditch at the intersection of Ruggles Township Road 126 and County Road 1181. Amy's body was found about 50 miles from Bay Village. So the why? Unfortunately, the reason Amy was taken was probably for sexual purposes. The question that gets asked by listeners the most is whether or not she was sexually assaulted. The short answer is yes. The long answer will come at a later time. As awful as it is to say, the truth is, this perpetrator sought Amy out and arranged the meeting for unsavory purposes. This perpetrator had thought his plan out to the point where he was confident enough to meet her in a public place, across from the police station no less. So the biggest roadblock in this investigation is the fact that this suspect is basically a ghost. He appeared one day and took Amy, and has since retreated out of sight. So a lot of the questions that we need answers to they are only going to come from the killer. So in the meantime, we are kind of left to speculate. So this week, we talk with Nick from True Crime Garage, one of the top true crime podcasts in all the land, about where this case stands today and where it could be going. Thanks again for joining me, uh, Nick. I appreciate the uh, time. I have spent uh, the past six, seven weeks you know, discussing what it was like when Amy Mahalovic went missing, you know, from my perspective as somebody who lived in the city just to the east of uh, where Amy went missing. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you who, you know, you didn't live in the area, but you lived in Columbus? Well, what it was like for me was interesting in the fact that I'm roughly the same age as Amy Mahalovic. Um, if she were alive today, we would be the same age. Um, so, you know, you come home from school. Um, I would have been in fifth grade and you come home from school and there, if it's not a great weather day, you park your butt in front of the TV. And I had some shows that I liked to watch. I think back then probably, Growing Pains would have been on uh, different strokes. Those would have been on in the the early afternoon, late afternoon, leading up to the five o'clock, six o'clock news, right? So reruns. Yeah. And I used to, man, I used to love different strokes and growing pains. Anyway, oh. come home and I remember um, sitting on the couch, lying on the floor, whatever, watching TV and they give you the little news teasers, right? Um, the little news teasers about what we're going to show you on tonight's news. And I would have to guess this would have been a couple of days after she was abducted. So she was abducted on, on a Friday on October 27th. I would imagine I probably saw this on a Monday or a Tuesday the following week, but the news teaser was, you know, um, 10 year old girl, Amy Mahalovic missing since Friday or missing for a few days now. Uh, now it's believed she's been abducted. I remember seeing those news teasers and I remember going, crap, that's, that's an individual, a person my age 
living in my state, yes, it's a two hour, two and a half hour drive, but living in, in my same state, my same age. So I identified with the victim. That's the first time I ever recall hearing a news story of somebody abducted or victimized in any way where I identified with the victim. So it naturally intrigued me, the case, immediately, even at my young age. And again, same thing happened. I, I wouldn't say that at that age, you know, I, I've, I've said on, on shows, on my show, and told other people, I've followed this case since 89. That's true in some sense. I wouldn't say that I actively followed the case back in 89. I was 10 years old. Um, but what I, what I do recall is seeing that news piece, staying and watching the actual news, which I never did at 10 years old, um, and then learning more about it. And I recall months later when her body was found, I recall seeing that on the news as well. And I remember seeing the America's Most Wanted uh, clips from back then. So for me, what this meant was that it was the first time that abduction and murder to me became real. It became a real thing. Um, meaning I had always, you know, watched Unsolved Mysteries or you read things in the newspaper or you hear stories at school, or you're told things by adults as cautionary tales, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily believe that that could happen to you or anybody you know or where you live. But this, to me, for the first time, is when abduction and when murder, when child murder became a real thing. Yeah, I can, I can definitely attest to that. I mean, being in Rocky River, and I've mentioned it on the podcast before about our teachers made us watch Sally Jesse Raphael when Margaret mm. Mahalovic was on. She was on in January? Yeah. It was, it was before it, her body was found, right? Oh, yeah. It was before her body was found. She was still missing. You know, it, and uh, I remember they had a tape of it, or we watched it live. I, I believe we watched it live. But yeah, that was like a thing in our class. Like, we never it never escaped us. I mean, you in Columbus, you could be at least far enough away where, yeah, it, it, it did feel real, but man, living it up here, it was, it was crazy. But with shows like you mentioned, Unsolved Mysteries, like, you know, a show like Unsolved Mysteries, what an impact that had on kids our age, you know, right. that show used to scare the living crap out of me. And America's Most Wanted with John Walsh. I mean, John Walsh, this was one of John Walsh's first cases, actually. You know, I've, I've got the outtakes of him, you know, talking about Amy's case. And I think that was like the first season of America's Most Wanted. You know what's scary? Um, and they'll forever be entwined in my mind. Thank God at least one of them has been solved. But Jacob Wetterling is abducted on, on a Sunday evening. And then that same week, Sunday to Friday, Friday, Amy Mahalovic is abducted. And it was just connected. To it, my mind. Yeah. And it was just such a weird thing. And I know that there, there was some speculation at the time that maybe they were, that there was this traveling uh, man that was going town to town and going to abduct children. That was the 22nd of October. So yeah, five days later, Amy goes missing. I remember Jacob's case as well because I was close to Jacob's age. I was just like you. I was the same age as Amy. And he was out riding his bike and I did the same type of stuff. And so hmm. that was very, that was, that was something that did hit home. And I remember, I don't think I was like aware of it until Amy went missing you know, because it's not like I sat down and watched the evening news when I was 10. But right. once they did, you know, because Jacob was missing, missing for 27 years. You know, they never found a body until there was resolution in 2016 mm -hmm. with the arrest of Danny Heinrich. But in that Sally Jesse Raphael show that we watched, one of the segments was Jacob. So mm -hmm. it was just 
can I mean it was automatically connected in our brains because of the fact that it went Patty Wetterling, next segment, Amy, you know, Margaret Mahalovic. And right. it's just oh, those two cases, yeah, they will forever be connected in my mind. And Jacob was close in age to Amy. And you and I are roughly, well, we're practically the same age. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can only imagine things on your end, watching that in school, watching that on TV, Jacob Wetterling, Amy Mahalovic. It was, it was, and you, you know, you and I have spoken to this before. It was different for me because I was down here in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was distance. Um, she, the victim, Amy was a girl. I was a boy, you know, and I have, you and I have joked because we've we've both been asked this by several individuals. Well, how did it affect you? And it affected me in the way that I stated earlier. It, the that now I wasn't just hearing a crime story that happened in some other state, you know, five hundred miles away to an adult. It affected me in the sense that the the world became a a more real place um, on that day. And on that day that her body was found, um, I don't think I watched the the news coverage that day. I think looking back and trying to think back, I think I remember viewing that within days of her being found is the best I can come up with. Mm -hmm. But on that day when her body was found... I learned that the boogeyman did exist on that day. And he, he wasn't living in somebody's closet or hiding underneath somebody's bed somewhere. No, no, the book, the boogeyman is real and there's many of them and they're the creepy guy that lives across the street from the school, the elementary school. They're the strange man that's um, taking pictures of children on his phone at the Walmart. They're this, they're the strange guy sitting on the park bench for hours on end with no newspaper, with, with, with nothing to occupy his time. (laughs) They could be the guy developing your film at Walgreens. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, it could be the, the, the thing about Amy's case is most likely the individual was, is still walking amongst us here. I mean, I don't, I, I, I believe he, I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, do you, do you think that, that he is, uh, has fled and has, you know, moved on to, to other things? Or do you think that this individual is somebody that is, you know, I don't want to say soaking it up, but enjoying the fact that people are still searching for him? Well, that's interesting because a few months ago, and I had not 100% resolved this with myself when we spoke, uh, you know, a, a few months back. But one thing I've had to do with this case, and, and, and you know that I do have a strong theory that I, that I like and that I favored for years on this case. But what you're asking me is, is, is months, years, and decades past that theory that you and I have discussed. Is this individual still alive? Is he still in the area? And I've, I've come to a fork in the road with that. And, and my thoughts on this are, there's two schools of thought that I have on this. One, my gut, and I told, you know, I drove up to um, uh, Lakewood and I drove up to Bay Village and I've done that a couple times. And in on my last trip there, just driving up 71 North from Columbus all the way to Cleveland area. And I'm going, it just something inside of me at some point, I think I was about 45 minutes North of Columbus, maybe 50 minutes. And I just, this overwhelming feeling came over me that somewhere between here, between this point right now on the road and my, my destination for the day, there is a unknown child killer living along this trail somewhere. And that's what my gut tells me. Now, now the other school of thought, let's take the other fork, let's take the other direction at the fork in the road. 
is one thing you and I have spoken to several times and, and many people regarding this case is that there is some thought that maybe this individual, the offender, believed that you and I both agree that the offender was sexually or romantically attracted to Amy Mahalovic. I do, yes. So this, there is a th- thought that this individual may have thought they could have had some relationship. If he, if, if, if he just got the chance to talk to her, got to meet her, she got to know him, that they could have some kind of um, friendship or some kind of relationship. And if, if we take that direction, that turn on the road, then killing her was a reaction to her not reacting the way he thought she would or not going along with what his wants and his needs were. Yeah, and then I think that would fall into the into the line with the FBI's thought that this could be a one-time killer. It's a one-off that yeah, he killed her. Want, yeah. Yeah, he he killed her as a reaction because holy shit this is not going the way that I thought it would. And right. he freaked he freaked out and in a panic or in a moment of desperation to not be caught he kills Amy Mahalovic. So the, 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 my thought is if in fact that is true, it, I would then lead myself to believe one of two things are more possible with this individual. That he would have, if killing her was a reaction, he would have reacted at some point in his life to that reaction, to that result of reacting and killing her. And what I mean by that is that he would have, either fled the area at some point and lives a good distance away, likely not in the same state, not likely not in the state of Ohio or any of the states touching Ohio, sharing a border with Ohio, or the individual may have committed suicide at some point. And, um, you know, I've, if, if that terrible, because then there is definitely never going to be any resolution. If that's right, then Billy Strunak would be a interesting um, person of interest, um, an interesting suspect. One that one that was not. They didn't get the chance to vet him or investigate him because of his his suicide. Or there's some people that say he he may have been murdered, but um, regardless, his death um, prevented FBI and law enforcement from really looking into him, I feel. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, Robert Ressler talks about it in his book that he would definitely fit the mold. And James talks about it as well, you know, when he mentions the fact that this guy was volunteering at the Amy Center. He brought copy paper that he actually stole from Mm -hmm. uh, his employment. Uh, but he also had apparently lots of issues that went deeper than just, you know, and that's not to say that he couldn't have killed Amy, mm-hmm. but it's also like, you know, we, sometimes we, like, I think we talked about it before. Sometimes when you do get this far into a case, you know, there are so many different avenues that you could go down. You could look at it in so many different ways. And sometimes it's just the simplest answer that is, is the answer. But, you know, just Amy's case is so unique that, you know, that this person went out of his way to call her. Right. Arranged this meeting, had the gall to do it in front of the police station, whether or not he knew it was the police station. You know, this person was confident enough to do that. But that doesn't mean that this guy was also extremely intelligent. You know, he's not, we're not going to say he's Einstein because he ended up killing a girl. You know, who's to say that, Right. you know, I mean, that's, if his plan was to befriend a 10-year-old girl, which Chief Spetzel has even mentioned, like, you know, I asked him, what would you say to the killer? And his thought and his response was, what was your, what was your intention? What was, what was the goal? And that's where everything kind of hits a roadblock is 
Well, it does. And I mean, it, it takes you in two completely different directions because then you're forced to give the answer of opinion of there's only two, there's only two intentions that day when you pick up an underage girl that's 10 years old and you're an adult, there's only, there's only two outcomes. Either your hope is to do something with her and get away with it and drop her off safe and unharmed. I mean, well, we shouldn't say unharmed, but you know what I mean? I know you mean. Not alive, drop her off alive somewhere Mm -hmm. or you knew going into this, you were going to have to kill her. And that's two different species. That's two different animals, two different monsters. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the end result's the same, but it does take two different, it does take you down two different paths because one is somebody that is going to be a serial, potential serial offender. And the other is somebody who may have, you know, once he did this, freaked the fuck out and just, you know, didn't do anything after that point. Right. So then we have to ask ourselves the question is we know he planned the meeting. Mm -hmm. We know he planned the introduction of calling her and planned the meeting, arranged the meeting to meet her. So he planned to abduct her. We know that. And then you have to go, well, do we do, do we go a step further and say he planned to kill her and made arrangements and pre-planning for that? Mm. Or did it just happen? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With where her body was found, that does lead you down an interesting path of it sounds like it was more of a pre-planned thing that I'm taking her someplace near where her body was found. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's some debate on whether or not, you know, where she was taken, was it close to where she was taken from or was she taken all the way down to, you know, where her body was found? and then kept down there before she was killed. Right. And I think that I think that's an interesting avenue to go down because you know that obviously makes the person who ever did this have real serious ties to the area and you know we certain people and certain suspects have fallen into that category but you just you wonder like you've said, that drive, and I don't know if you've said it, I think, on previous episodes but of your show, but yeah. that's a long drive to be driving with a child so, that you just abducted. As the, um, I don't know what it would be as the crow flies, but so I drove from Bay Village Plaza, from the shopping plaza, mm-hmm. to... Uh, the roadside area, uh, the field where she was later dumped, the body was later dumped. Um, I drove just that distance. And, and, and I, who knows what route or what stops were made between the abduction and the body dump. We, we may never know. But, right. but I, I typed it into my, my phone and I took the, what my phone told me to be the quickest route from from the plaza to the dump site. And just like you said, I, I think it was about 25 minutes into the drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, I, if I remember correctly, Bill, it's what, about a, a f- roughly a 50, depending yeah. on traffic, roughly yeah. a 50, a five zero minute drive. Absolutely. And I think it was about the 25, 28 minute mark where I picked up and looked at my phone because I thought, I got to be there by now or, or damn near close to it. And I was, no, I'm only about halfway. And, and the further I went and the further I went and the further I went, I kept going, this, this feels like an incredibly long drive. And a, I don't have a, a dead body in my car and B what would be even worse and even more difficult to control. 
I don't have a captive child alive in my car. Mm -hmm. They they could, could present a whole different list of problems for the offender, for the driver, for the person or persons in that vehicle as we make that trip. So I think I think I lean toward the thought that the individual that that general location of where the body was dumped is is of more significance to him than Bay Village is or that the shopping plaza would be. Um, that's just my thought. I've always erred on that, and meaning, I think the individual either lived in that area, grew up in that area, or or may have worked in the area at the time of the murder. Yeah, that's most likely with everything that you just presented, driving with a captive kid or a captive, you know, 10 year old. I, it's just, yeah, it doesn't seem like a practical uh, means of trans unless she was tied up and in the trunk. But again, there had to have been another location that this individual went to where he did that. And how many crime scenes are we talking about? Yeah. And I, I also lean toward the side that um, the individual didn't live, did not live in Bay village. And I'll, I'll get into that in a minute, but to answer your question of how many crime scenes are we talking about? That's something that I don't think the average person considers when they're looking at a case. And this is something that I've been taught from detectives is that there's not just one or two crime scenes when you, especially when you have an abduction that leads to murder and then the body being disposed of. You have multiple crime scenes. And, and I've been told in most abduction murder cases, at minimum, you're probably looking at four to six crime scenes. And what I mean by that is, Let's, let's kind of check these off as we go. The phone call that is made to her leading up to the abduction, that's technically, the, the, the investigators would look at that as a crime scene. There are clues to look for there. Any space that there are clues is a crime scene. So that's one. The shopping plaza is two. That's your second crime scene. That's where he met her. That's where he abducted her. His vehicle, however he transported her, is a crime scene. Then where did they go? Did they go to his home? Did they go to a place where he could, the nicest way to say it is spend time with her? Mm -hmm. Where was that location? Was it a hotel? Was it a motel? Was it his home? Was it a relative's home? Was it a, uh, a barn, uh, a piece of property? Where was that? Where did he take her? Well, that's your third crime scene. And then, She's transported again, and then the body's dumped. Could be a second vehicle. If so, that's your, your crime scene number four, the dump site crime scene number five. Yeah, and, and a lot of those things, you know, like you mentioned about the vehicle, like that's one of the big issues with, you know, the case is that they never saw a vehicle. Nobody, you know, there isn't any definitive proof you know people have come out and said they they've witnessed this they've witnessed that but that's pure speculation and mm. without the, that little bit of information as far as like the type of vehicle you know spetzel even says like we had the vehicle we would have been able to get this guy you know 28 years ago or 29 years ago and you know the the the, the thing about the case that you know it always sticks with me but you know the blanket and the curtain you know you've referenced a barn and or you know it could have been a trailer but again what they released some form of outbuilding yeah some yeah some sort of place where let's say the weather was cold enough that it could have kept a body from quickly decomposing Mm -hmm. and the curtain and the blanket that they released, you know, you had mentioned that you wished that, and I'm not sure if we talked about it, but you wish that curtain would have been released earlier in the investigation. Yes. But it's also one of those curtains that was used for something that was more than just 
Phil Torres and he believes it was used to as like a kind of like a covered up a closet or covered up a uh, a basement entrance or like, yes. So I'm a big um, uh, I'm a big advocate for not littering, obviously, but also recycling right. and. But something else that I do that I love that others do it as well is sometimes I repurpose things. Something may have served a purpose for me in an item and rather than throwing it away and putting it in a landfill somewhere, I might use it for a different purpose or, or construct it, add to it, modify it to a way that I can repurpose it. This thing, this item, this curtain, we call it a curtain, but but to me, it, it looks like something that was repurposed at some point, that somebody had made either a quilt or, uh, or it was some kind of comforter or blanket that was later fashioned into a curtain. And where you're going with this is totally fascinating to me. It looks like something that would, would cover, that you would use almost as a door, like in place of a door, meaning if you had a closet or a back room or a side room, this would be the item that you would hang instead of buying a door and putting a door frame there. You would hang it uh, in that little walkway or right in front of the uh, closet area to um, just for aesthetic purposes, you know, so that you could store things in the closet or store things in this back room or have privacy. I think that's where you're going with that. That's exactly where I'm going with it. And I, I, I don't know, some, and I, this is, again, I'm, I hate to purely speculate, but that just makes me think of a trailer. I don't know what it is, but it just seems like something that you would hang the, you know, that back room off of a, you know, a double wide, or it just seems something. It also makes me like think a hunting of. hunting trailer, maybe. Yeah, but it also makes me think of an individual that may live with others and either these, the others are roommates, which I know makes it difficult for him to spend time with his victim, Amy Mohalovic. But it makes, it also makes me think of that, that a grown child living at home and, or a person that's renting a space from others that the actual homeowner. And what I mean by that is often we will see, adults, uh, whether it be the adult children of the homeowner or a renter, sometimes they'll rent a whole level and it could be the basement level. And often you go into people's basements, especially ones that are partially finished mm -hmm. or, or all the way finished. It's not uncommon to see curtains used as dividers uh, from room to room or for a closet or for a particular space. And then somebody would say, well, let's, let's go down that road, Nick. And let's say you think maybe the individual could have lived at home and been a grown a, a child of the homeowner. That doesn't, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I, I, I think that um, there's a chance there's a, this offender chose the meeting to be that Friday for a reason. And either that's because he didn't have to be accounted for at work the next day. He wanted to spend time with Amy and he needed the privacy and the time to do that. And that's why I believe this individual chose a Friday afternoon. He didn't have to be accounted for that night. He, he may not have needed to be accounted for Saturday and Sunday and or Sunday. Mm -hmm. If he, if he's a grown child of the homeowner, maybe right. they're out of town that weekend. Maybe right. they're, they're gone for the weekend and this is his window that he has. Mm -hmm. I think that Friday is important for, for, for some reason. And, and I think that, I think the plaza is important. I think that the information that he knew about Amy is important. And I think that the Friday is important to finding out who this individual is. And the reason why I say that is I think these are all things that were orchestrated by the, who would end up being the killer. Right. And I, I don't think that 10 year old Amy said, look, I'm kind of booked up on Wednesday and Thursday, but if you want to meet on Friday, that fits into my schedule. I don't think that happened. And I don't think that Amy said, Oh, by the way, me and my friends go to the shopping plaza from time to time. How about we just meet there? I don't think, I think, 
the adult, the offender, the monster that killed her orchestrated most of that, if not all of it. Yeah. And I I do. I totally agree with that, that she was, she was not the one that would have uh, arranged that particular setup or, you know, put herself in, in that position. Mm-hmm. But uh, you just mentioned something that was interesting and that was the, uh, I, I lost my, I lost where I was going with that. But as far Sorry. as the way that you see it is that this person obviously knew a lot about Amy and whomever the perpetrator was somehow had intimate details, knew her phone number, obviously, and mm-hmm. knew where she went to school, therefore could have easily been able to set up the plaza as the place mm-hmm. to meet. So you and I have talked b- before uh, mm-hmm. about different theories and, you know, can you just expand a little bit on the theory that I find very fascinating? So my theory is, and I want to be clear about this. I'm not tunneled vision with, with this theory. I'm not married to it. I could be swayed in another direction. But the theory that I've held the longest, and it comes back to my general thought of, of the essence of this crime, of this murder. And at the essence of it is the male, the grown male offender was sexually attracted to Amy Maholovic. I think that this individual wasn't just straight up attracted to any 10, 11, 12 year old girls. I think he was attracted to a specific type of girls that age. And I think Amy fell into that type. I think that Amy was somebody that he was sexually attracted to. And then take it a step further. I also believe that this individual somehow knew a good amount about Amy and her life and her family, but she didn't know him. So how do we get our victim to our killer and our killer to our victim? How do we connect those two? How do we connect them? You have to find a way that he knew her and knew a good deal about her, but she didn't know him. Now, there's many ways that that could happen. But the thing that jumped off the page to me when I, you know, reviewing this case as an adult was the fact that, you know, it's, it's mentioned that so October is early in the school year and that they had already taken the, the class picture or the school pictures that year. Right. Now I don't necessarily mean that it had to have happened that year, that this information had to get to the killer that year. It could have happened the year before or, you know, months before or any number of ways, but I'm trying to think of a way that this guy could have seen her because in this instance, he has to be visually attracted to her. Right. So how did he see her to know that he was attracted to her, but she doesn't know who he is. And then on top of that, he has a bunch of him, her information, but she doesn't know who he is. And the thing that I keep going back to is school pictures. I remember I'm the same age as Amy. I remember being 10 years old and you take home this giant, it was a white envelope but it was like an eight by 11 envelope. It's a big envelope. So you bring it home and you hand it to mom or dad or both. And you say school pictures are next week or two weeks from now. Uh, Can you fill this out and put a check in here? Because on Thursday I have to go back to school and I have to have a check to pay them in advance for the school pictures. And they need your information so they can get those pictures to you. God forbid I can't pick them up at school. And so that envelope that I would get, either had a a flyer or um, uh, information form to fill out inside, or it was the back of the envelope. I remember it two different ways because it probably happened different ways from year to year. But regardless, I remember looking at that thing and wondering, man, for my school picture, they got to put down a lot of information, you know, uh, mom and dad's name, child's name, school, age, grade, uh, phone number. Um, they had to put where they worked. I don't know if they had to put where they worked or the address, but 
let's take this a step further. Back okay. then, everybody, everybody paid with a check. So on oh, your check, good point. on your check would be either one of two things. It would either be your home address if you were using a personal checking account, mm-hmm. or if you were using a business checking account, it would have your business address on there. So it did have your address on there and your name on there. So let's think about this for an example. Uh, let's go through this. If Amy needed to get school pictures, what information could somebody have? And, and this is the thing, this is what I don't like when I explain this theory. A lot of people immediately go, so the, the guy that took her picture killed her, abducted her and killed her? No, no. This, we're, we're not talking about a, a one or two man operation. We're talking about a big company. There, those, that, those things have to go through a lot of different channels before those pictures get back to the children and their parents, believe it or not. Anybody working there on a permanent or part-time or, or short-term basis could have come across that information. But if I have that envelope, what information do I have? Well, I can look at the individual that, that got their picture taken and I can decide if I'm attracted to them or not, right? I can visually see them. I can decide if I'm attracted to them or not. All right, I'm some creep that's attracted to 10-year-old girls and it happens to be I saw a picture of Amy Mahalovic while I was at work in some form mm-hmm. and I, I kind of like her. I'd like to talk to her. I'd like to meet her. I'd like to whatever. Well, I can see on the check that was enclosed here that her mother's name is Margaret Mahalovic and their home address is da, 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 da. And, oh, then on the envelope, I can, here's a phone number. Right. Well, mom has her own personal checking account. Maybe she works. Maybe she has a job. Maybe she doesn't stay at home. I would assume her father works. I mean, it's 1989. That's just the way the world was then. Uh, Most parents work nine to five, Monday through Friday. School lets out about three o'clock. Why don't I call this number at three o'clock? Because I'm going to call that number around three o'clock, 315, 330, because that's when it's most likely that she's going to pick up the phone and not mom and not dad, because I don't want to talk to them. Could have also known that she had a brother and right. he did some investigating that known that he would have been coming home at a later time. And even, even if I didn't have her address, which I think would have been easy, you would have pulled that right off of the check would have been well, the way to do that. But let's, let's, the phone let's say I didn't have the address. I know the school, mm-hmm. I know the school that she goes to and um, I can just follow her home from school one day. Now, the interesting thing about this, and the reason why I like this theory amongst some others, because like I said, there's a million ways for this individual, the killer, to know Amy, but her not to know him. There's, you know, there's many different ways that could happen. But the reason why I like this method, this thought, this theory, is that there were calls to other girls in other cities typically these big companies that go around and take school pictures, they, they're not, they don't just work for one school. They, their business would fail in a matter of months. They work with many, many schools in a region, in right. an area, you know, in, in a corner of the state in Northeast Ohio. They could have been down here in Columbus taking pictures for all I know. Mm-hmm. But so what I'm getting at is I think whoever called Amy, whoever abducted and killed Amy, I think he also was the individual that called the girls in North Olmsted. So the next question was going to be is, do you think? So somehow this, he he was calling and probably trying different, different ways of luring a girl to meet him. And I think that unfortunately with Amy's, it, it worked and his other attempts did not work. And I think this individual would have continued to call and contact girls um, without being seen, you know, via phone uh, until he found one that was going to meet him. Yeah, it would explain the the attempts of the, you know, on the other phone calls to the girls in North Olmstead, as well as explain the connection as far as right. your, as your theory goes. And, you know, again, you you know, 
like you mentioned before you went into your theory is you're not you're not 100 percent saying it's this and you're not tunnel going on tunnel vision as far as focusing on this as being your only theory but to you this is what makes the most sense as far as what connects everybody to this right. one individual and it doesn't you know it's crazy because that makes the whole margaret mark background thing just mean absolutely zero and you mentioned it on a well uh, well not 100% zero what where it does mean something is the the abduction time and the phone call times mm-hmm. that's where that's where the parents relationship comes into play being that the killer believed that this was a time that he could call her contact her meet amy and abduct her without uh her being tied down or the security of mom and dad being at home or with her you know this the phone calls so she would have been abducted shortly after school the phone calls happened shortly after school Mm-hmm. The, the reason being is that, like I said, back in 1989, most moms and moms and dads, mine included, worked nine to five Monday through Friday. And th- this wasn't cell phones. You know, back nowadays, if you when you have a child's information, you're getting mom or dad's cell phone. It rings. It's in their pocket. It's in their briefcase. It's in their purse. It rings. Mom or dad picks up back then. Remember, we even had phone a friend, phone a friend. Remember that, that, did they give you those numbers with the sticker with the, the bear on it? And Most it was like of our a, listeners will have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. So explain what a phone a friend was. Okay. So back then, uh, most children would go home from school and they, there would be a window of time that you were home alone. Um, you know, not everybody could afford additional childcare to bring in a, a babysitter for one hour or two hours after school between the time that I get home from school and mom or dad gets home from work. You're home by yourself. So at school, they would hand out this thing called phone. I think it was called phone a friend. I, if I don't, not 100% certain, but I, I can envision this little sticker that they would give us that had like a teddy bear or a bear on it. And it had a number, a phone number. And if for any reason at all you needed to talk to somebody as a child, you could call that number. And this, and they would encourage you when they give you the sticker, they would say, you know, if, if somebody strange shows up at your door and you don't, you know, maybe, maybe you don't think you should call the cops uh, and you can't get a hold of mom and dad, well, you can call this number. Or if something's going on at home that you can't tell um, mom and dad about, you can call this number. There, you know, there was that whole phone a friend thing. These is supposed to be like a a helpline almost right. for children to call. Well, not to bring up Ted Bundy, but the fact that Bundy worked for a, I believe it was a suicide prevention hotline. Yeah. Or, or it was something along those lines. And, you know, if that phone a friend, per, you know, who's, who's on the other end of that line? That's true. And That's true. And with your, with your theory, you know, who in the chain of custody, as far as those, the proofs of the pictures, how many hands does that go through? And how many people see those? you know, those images, it, it opens up a lot of different avenues. And that's why I and find the theory so interesting. What's great about it too is, look, if I wanted to, let's say I wanted to abduct, rape, and kill somebody. Well, if I had means of, of finding the perfect victim, let's say, mm-hmm. it would be much better for me, beneficial to me, if that victim lived in another city, lived, lived a, a, a fair distance from me, it, it, the, the chances, the rate, the chances of me getting caught um, drop. And the reason why I said earlier that I don't think that this individual lived in Bay Village, I say that because I think he looks somewhat 
Not exactly, because we get we have two different composite drawings. Those are different people that, that were drawn. Those are different descriptions. Um, so when you look at the wanted poster or whatever you want to call it, there's two different descriptions. But I think the killer, the abductor, looks similar to one of those or similar to both of those drawings. And I think that the age is probably that they're they're. I'm not going to say spot on, but I think that they have the age right. I understand it's 25 to 35. That's a big window, but I think he falls somewhere in that age, age range. And the reason why I don't believe he lived in Bay village at the time or likely ever lived in Bay village is that everybody was looking for that face. Everybody was looking for that face. We're not talking about New York city. We're not talking about Los Angeles. We're talking about Bay Village. James Renner, 11 years old, is going to the mall and looking for that face. <laughs> and, he, and he didn't even live in Bay Village. you know. And so if he's looking for that face, everybody in Bay Village was looking for that face. And I think this individual, knowing that he was going to meet her at a public place, knew several things had to happen for him to get away with this. One... He can't be seen with her with his vehicle. We can't have me, her, and my vehicle all together because vehicles are so much easier to um, describe to another individual, to law enforcement, and to track down. So I can't have my vehicle be seen with me and her, if possible. Two, I can't have her yell and scream when she gets into my vehicle or when I snatch her up. Because that's going to cause commotion. Commotion draws eyes and ears. And then everybody will see me and remember me. So knowing he was going to abduct her from a public place, he took those two things into to factor, you know, into account when he was planning what he was going to do. And I think that he liked that it was Bay Village. And I don't think he lived in North Olmsted e either. I think you can kind of, in my thoughts and opinions are you can rule out anywhere that he was calling because given the size of the communities, he wouldn't have been able to hide his face if he had to meet them at a public place. And there was going to be somebody that saw him. And if I don't have to show my face there again in the, in the future, then uh, again, that helps my chances of not getting caught. Now, if I live there, everybody is looking for my face and bad things come of that for the offender. They either get caught or they get scared and then they flee or, or kill themselves. My conversation with Nick ended up being longer than anticipated. So I have decided to split this episode into two parts. So tune in next week for part two of my conversation with Nick of True Crime Garage. Thank you again for listening to Who Killed Amy Maholovic. If you are interested in supporting independent journalism such as this podcast, you can click on the donate button on the bottom left on whokilledamymaholovic.com. If you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, that will also help support the show and help get Amy's story the coverage it deserves. You can contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234 if you have any new information regarding this case. The FBI is also offering a reward up to $25,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of Amy Renee Mahalovic. So anyone with information concerning this case, please contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. You may also contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. Thank you again for listening, and be safe. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. 
That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Something is introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. 